freeze. Stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Doug and Jesse King. Welcome, everybody. You're listening to the GeorgiaCarry.org Radio Hour. I am your host, Doug King. Um, this week has been kind of an eventful week news-wise, and I I don't know. I think it's about time we revisit some of the issues dealing with the race riots that are going on in Charlotte and and police and citizen encounters. And that's that's a term that really drives me up the wall. I mean, if you ask anybody who knows me, you know that when people say police and citizens, police are citizens, okay? They're they're not a paramilitary force. They're not out there. Um they're not they're they're just the same as you or I. They just are employed to do what we are allowed to do on a daily basis and do it full time. And here here's a, the fundamental dichotomy between police force culture and, and what it's meant to be, okay? The police are not meant to be something separate. They're not meant to be something that is apart. They are not the hired guns of the state, even though that is kind of what they have become. What police are are everyday average citizens exercising the power of everyday average citizens on a full-time basis. So, you know, some of us have day jobs and we can't be out there enforcing law day in and day out. So we have divided up segments of our society so that there's a division of labor and everybody can uh, focus on their specialty, right? Because let's face it, you know, a 85-year-old grandpa is not as able to catch a someone who stole a purse as a 22-year-old right out of the police academy. So we divide up labor so that it is more fair and equal. But there is nothing fundamentally different between the 22-year-old rookie and the 85-year-old grandpa. Both have the same powers of a citizen. And that is what is is missing here. And this is why we have so much turmoil that's bubbling up is because the the break between police between law enforcement and the citizen has become not just a break and not just a, 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 a fracture, but a chasm. And as we look at the, the outpouring of anger and animosity that is coming from our society, everyone wants to blame race, but it really doesn't have anything to do with race. It really doesn't. What the difference is, is that there are communities that feel disenfranchised, that feel put out, that feel that they are not getting their their fair desserts in society, and they're acting out against the enforcement arm of a government that is non-responsive to their needs. Oh my goodness, doesn't that sound familiar? I mean, we're talking Boston Tea Party here. We're talking... We're talking the, the American Revolution, the French Revolution. We're talking the revolution in Haiti. I mean, the, these are common threads <clears throat> throughout all of the great revolutions. And here we are seeing it bubble up only this time. It's kind of the second American Revolution where people are, are getting tired of the way the government is doing things. It, it, it's the decline and fall of the American Empire. You know, too bad Edwards Gibbons isn't around to write about this one, too, because I'm seeing so many correlations and so many. The, the, these are not they're not riots. 
they are demonstrations of people who are angry. And, and I see everyone goes, well, Martin Luther King didn't have to do that. Gandhi didn't have to do that. No, but Ben Franklin and, and Patrick Henry sure did. And Gandhi's approach was good for India, and Martin Luther King's approach was good in the 60s, but I don't think that either one of them would have gotten very far in 1789. I, I, well, you know, we talk about the French Revolution, too. It, the French Revolution took a, a very different turn than the American Revolution, and, and the reason the French Revolution went the way it did was because this wasn't the landed aristocracy that was overthrowing a government it was the 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 populace itself we're talking about the hoi polloi we we've got the the basis elements and my goodness if that isn't what we're seeing now in america is that the same sort of underlying base element the the commoner is rejecting the abuses of government and in rejecting that they are acting out and they're acting out in exactly the same ways as happened in the french revolution i would encourage all of you to go out and get a book or find a podcast or even just look it up on Wikipedia, but spend a little time this week researching the French Revolution because a lot of the same things that happened then are starting to happen now in America. And what is going to happen? Are we going to have a leader that says, let them eat cake? Or are we going to have a leader that says, I am your leader. I'm going to step in and, and, and lead you and, and take you places and restore greatness. Oh, my goodness. So on one hand, you have Marie Antoinette, right? And on the other hand, you have Napoleon Bonaparte. And and we're being asked to choose between the lesser of two evils here in this election cycle. And and it is truly a terrifying prospect because the the business as usual, the politics as usual, the the choice that is offered by Hillary Clinton is a choice of continuing the way things are. And there is a huge segment of the population that is not, it, it is primarily a minority race, but it is not entirely. There's a huge section of disenfranchised community. And I want to keep coming back to the idea of community in this because this is, this is important. I mean, this is one of our fundamental themes, right? We've got a gun culture. We have a gun community. The gun community is slightly different than other communities, but there are communities out there that are banding together in opposition to the government and to the police. And those communities are going to be heard. So a vote to, Reign in the establishment status quo is a vote against those communities. And this is what's really interesting. Okay. This is fascinating because the establishment status quo politics as usual candidate in Hillary Clinton is relying on the minority vote in order to secure the White House. She cannot win unless she has a hundred percent of the black vote, unless she has like 87% of the Hispanic vote, and if she has just about everybody else who's not white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. She has no power base without those voters. And yet, she is diametrically opposed to what they're trying to do. She is keep everything the way it is and don't shake it up. And so this is really a bizarre mix because if the minorities turn out and vote for the status quo, then they're shooting themselves in the foot on their protests and their their angry demonstrations about the way they're being treated by the establishment politics. And that's really what this comes down to. This is not about the police shooting somebody. 
It really isn't. It is about the underlying animosity that this this community holds against the government and the way the government is enforcing law. So, I mean, we, we've got to really focus in on these these drives and the issues. And it is too easy to say that it is a, a race issue. It is way too easy to say that it is, you know, people who are on welfare who don't have jobs to go to the next day, so they're out there rioting because they get a free ride. It there There's angst. There's animosity. There's anger. And why is that anger there? My premise is that that anger exists because people are disenfranchised by their government, they're marginalized, and they're being used. Any person who's being used starts to get angry. I can guarantee it. I don't care if it's in a family. I don't care if it's in a business. I don't care if it's in a small town or if it's a community the size of of a third of the country. When they feel used, they become resentful and angry. And that anger comes out in revolution. And we're starting to see that foment now. You know, the, and that's important. I mean, let's, let's talk about Orwell for a minute. You know, George Orwell in 1984, uh, the, the government used everybody. It was in complete control of everybody. And the government realized that people would become angry. So they gave the people a scapegoat. There was someone for them to hate. And they were encouraged, in fact, mandated to hate this other, I'm doing air quotes here, this other, they were mandated to hate, and they had the five minutes hate every day where they would gnash their teeth and yell and scream and hate as the image of the other was played on the screens, and they were encouraged to vent their frustration and pour their hate out towards this person, which vented it and kept it at a low boil and and focused it in such a way that it was never directed against their real tormentor, which was the government. So here we have people who are trapped in their lives, and they have no way out because they are being manipulated and used by the government to maintain a power structure. Now, there are people who say, yeah, Democrats have re-enslaved African Americans in, in America because they need them for their power base, so they use them in, they keep them dependent on welfare, they don't let them progress, they're always in the victim minority status, and that's causing the animosity. But I, I think that it is a lot larger than just the Democratic Party using them. I think that it is a way of keeping the Republicans in power, too. I think that the Republican power base turns and says, well, you know, you're, you're not going to, you look at the way that, you know, this racial, social, economic class clings to the Democrats. You're not like them. You're something else. You need to listen to us. Cause if, if it wasn't for us, then they would have the power. They would take everything you have. And isn't that a common reoccurring theme that we hear is that the Democrats want to take your money, they want to take your guns, they want to take your property, and that fear allows Republicans to hold on to a base that is no longer even allied with them. The Republicans are not working in business interests, they're not working in gun owners' interests, they're not working in any interests except for their own, just like the Democrats. Folks, we're at a commercial break. We'll be right back. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Well, 
Welcome back, everybody. So uh, during the break, I um, had a chance to calm down for a minute and, and think about this in the larger context. Okay, so when, when I left, I was talking about Republicans and Democrats working towards the same goal. And I think that we have really seen that come to fruition. I mean, if you look at what was going on in Congress over the last two years, you know, we had like basically a second Republican revolution. Remember when Newt Gingrich swept in and took over Congress and became the Speaker of the House back in 1994, he had a contract with America. It was a chance to, that it was the first time the House of Representatives had been controlled by a party other than the Democrats since the 1930s, 20s, even before maybe? I don't know. But the, the, it had been a generational thing that the, the Demo- I, generational thing that the Democrats had controlled the House of Representatives. And the issue then was to really bring forth the confidence of the American people in their government and to show that the Republicans were going to do something. Well, in 2014, um, people got angry and they, again, swept the Republicans back into power to, in order to combat not just not just the House, but the Senate in order to combat what they saw as abuses from the Obama administration. And so the Republicans then, in turn, go ahead and strike down everything Obama's done and send him everything to veto, right? No, they didn't do anything. And people lost faith. And so you've got a whole bunch of Republicans out there who are party-line Republicans, who are dyed-in-the-wool Republicans, who would never vote for a Democrat. They'd rather vote for a blue dog than a Democrat. And they're lost and, and, and confused because their party doesn't do what they were sent to do. The, the, the contract with America, the pledge that comes with the mandate was voided. And that gave way to Donald Trump. Donald Trump looks at this and says, my goodness, the Republicans are going to run Jeb Bush. This is ridiculous. I can need to, I can step in and just mess this whole thing up. And that's what he did. He just went in there and like a bull in a china shop, destroyed the entire primary process because, and he didn't even have to spend money to do it. And that's the insane thing. You'd think of everybody out there that the Donald Trump would be able to spend, outspend everybody and buy the election. He didn't have to. It was handed to him on a silver platter because the Republicans are completely out of touch with the American people. Okay. The Democrats are just as out of touch with their constituency, which if if we accept that those two premises are true, that the Democrats and the Republicans are completely out of touch with their constituency, that it is one hand washes the other, and that's why Boehner passed all of Obama's spending package, and Obama hasn't banned guns or tried to uh, pass a law that, that restricted firearms ownership. He's like like dabbling around the edges without really touching the issue. If if they're really just trying to everybody keep getting reelected and, and everything be smooth, if that's the goal... What do people out here in the heartland feel like? What do people in Atlanta feel like? What do people in Miami and, and, and New York and everywhere that isn't DC? What does the rest of the country feel like when the politicians are non-responsive? You know, the, the American Revolution was premised on the idea of unfair taxation, that we weren't really English citizens. England saw us as colonials, which was a step down from being a citizen. Uh, or a subject, really, 
and Americans saw them as and uh, themselves as being English and entitled to all of the protections of being English. And when they weren't given that, a small segment, it was only what, like 3% of the population said, well, if they don't think we're English, then why are we trying to be English? Let's just be Americans. And that fomented the revolution. But it was a revolution across a vast distance. I mean, it was kind of like the Mars colonies revolting against Earth rather than um, one state in the U.S. revolting against the federal government. The Our situation now with instant communication, with speedy travel anywhere in the globe, really, but certainly across the U.S., and, and the decline in, of our treasury much more closely imitates and reflects the French Revolution. And I think that these these riots and the French Revolution was laced with riots. I think that these riots take a center stage in what's going on in American politics because this is the five minute hate. This is the outpouring, but it has there are two ways it can go. It can either be a release valve and everything goes back to normal. Or it can be the beginning of a revolution. And if it's the beginning of a revolution, you're going to see even more angst against any arm that is seen as being part of a government that's non-responsive to its people. And this next election is going to dictate the course that this goes in. If this next election brings somebody into power, be it Trump or Clinton or, or anybody else, if this next election brings someone into power who looks and goes, yeah, there's a lot of animosity here. We need to under and, and cut out the animosity by dealing with the issues that people feel that their government's non-responsive. Put more deregulate, let the government take a step back, let people have more control over their own lives. If we go that route, then we may see this just fizzle and people become content with their situation. If we don't, if we try to crack down and take more power away from people and, and seize more authority away from people and make people more dependent on the government and use people more, you're going to see this turn into something bigger, particularly as the economy creates a larger and larger divide between haves and have-nots. The have-nots eventually say there's nothing that's keeping me from having what I want other than the haves, and that is the French Revolution. That brings on the guillotines. That brings on the terror and where people are, are summarily executed on false charges without any witnesses. I mean, that is the end of that road, and we are on, we are on a precipice right now where it depends on how the government decides to react. Now, of the candidates that we have, I think that both of them see power as a goal and a high-end power structure is going to cause them to behave to amass more and more authority underneath themselves. And that's a dangerous thing in our political climate. There isn't anybody who's going to really deregulate, decentralize, who has a snowball's chance in this. And that's just the sad truth. Because if we don't get to that deregulation point, if we don't get to uh, seeing the citizen as the ultimate holder of power, then we're going to have real problems going into the next term and into the next four years. I think that riots like this are, are just the tip of the iceberg if we don't address the underlying social issue of too much power being amassed in a central authority that does not care about a citizenry. 
and the the as much as we have tried to create uh, a government that has to be responsive to the people through the House of Representatives and through the Senate, the political two-party power structure system, trust me, I can attest to it, has created an elite ruling class that can't be touched and, and is, it is as much, you know, the, the, um, bourgeoisie that Marx warned of as any political system has ever devised because if a, an average person decides I'm going to run for something, if you don't have a million dollars and you don't have the backing of a party, you're not going to get anywhere. The the parties have made that absolutely impossible. You have to collect so many signatures just to get on a ballot and you have to do it when nobody cares about the election. And, and by the time people start to get excited about you running, it's too late and the deadline's passed and oh, we already printed the ballot, so tough. You know, it, it is impossible to break into this structure and that sense of disenfranchisement, that sense of we can't change it, the sense that I don't like this guy, but he keeps getting elected over and over and over, Johnny Isaacson. Um, you know, those, those sorts of dynamics create animosity in the system and that animosity pours out and it starts with the people who are the most disenfranchised because they have nothing to lose, right? You know, you and I, we own a house, we own a car, we have our kids in a nice school, and we have, you know, a modest amount of, of luxury items, right? You know, we own a gun or two more than we need, or we have a nice suit, or we do this or that. And, and we don't want to be imprisoned and lose all of that or jeopardize our family. So we are more cautious and less risk adverse. So the people who foment and the people who cause riots and the people who are out there, the people who have nothing to lose, who are going to jail for a week or a month or a year, really won't impact their life too drastically, and they don't care anymore. It's, it's worth it just to do something. Now, as things get worse, then that gets to, more people get sucked into, I don't care if I lose this. There, I saw a thing on Drudge Report that more and more Americans are ditching living in apartments and starting to live in vans. I mean, that's, that's functionally homeless, but people are choosing to live that way because they feel that they could lose it all anyway. So what's the point? I mean, seriously, what is, what is the point of doing it? If at any moment you can lose everything you have, then you get to this, this feeling that there's nothing to lose anyway. It's, it's all, I mean, your land is owned by the government. Just stop paying your property taxes just for a moment and you'll see what happens to your land and, and the property taxes come and whisk it away and be, you lose everything. You may have paid $200,000 for it, but it's not yours, not really, because someone can always take it away from you. I mean, this is this is kind of a, a scary concept when you start to look at the ramifications of it, particularly as we come into looking at riots that are going on across um, not only our, our area down here in North Carolina and, and, and Baltimore, but across the entire nation. And, and the movements of people who are against the government, who declare themselves to be sovereign citizens and not subject to the rules and regulations, and people who just blatantly ignore the rules, it's because they just don't believe in the government anymore, and the government doesn't respond to their wishes. Folks, I'm at another commercial break. I'm going to come right back and talk about the implications of good guys, bad guys, and guns in what kicked off the riots in North Carolina in just a moment. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. So, I, I said that I was going to discuss good guys, bad guys, guns, and the, the incident in Charlotte that has caused all of this 
to come to the forefront. And I think that this is really important, okay? So the narrative we heard is it's not a gun, it was a book. And then the police chief comes out with dash cam video that no, it was a gun. And that is like the definitive end of the argument, right? I mean, they pull him over. He had a gun on his person. That means he was a bad guy. And the police, being in reasonable fear, ended up shooting him and killing him because he had a gun on him. They're missing the entire point of this, okay? This is this is fundamental. It's not something anybody's willing to address because it involves fundamental premises that nobody wants to disagree with or argue with or even point out on any side of the debate. And here's the issue, okay? Owning a gun, carrying a gun, carrying a gun without a license is no reason to shoot somebody. Carrying a gun without a license is no reason to believe that they are a bad person. Carrying a gun without a license is no reason to none of this. I mean, none of it flows from that. Okay. In a lot of states now, it is perfectly legal to carry a gun without a license. Georgia should be one of them, but Alaska, Vermont, I mean, constitution, I was Kansas constitutional carry is sweeping the nation. The premise is that individuals have a right to carry a firearm by virtue of the second amendment which codifies a natural right, a God-given right, to self-defense. The Second Amendment doesn't grant the right. I don't care what you, kind of interpretation you want to pull. If you want to do strict constructivist, if you want to be um, a, a textualist, if you want to be you know, the moving trends of society, it doesn't matter. No matter how you want to interpret the Second Amendment, the Second Amendment is just a restatement of the general principle that we are allowed to carry a firearm because... We're human beings, and that's natural, and there's nothing that you can do to stop it. So once you accept that as a fundamental truth, then you inevitably come to the con conclusion that someone who is afraid of you because you carry a firearm is not rational. Think about that for just a second. What if... Everybody who is afraid of you having a firearm is deemed just just as a matter of course to be irrational. I think that that's a much better world to live in. The problem here is in the 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 debate ends with well he had a gun. Okay. So you want to say that he and I'm not going to get into why he got pulled over, his rap sheet, his history. Personally, I think that if you want to deny someone the ability to carry a firearm, then you imprison them. If they're not dangerous enough to imprison and for them, for the state to pay for their medical, their food, their upkeep and everything, I know it's like, what, $150 a day. If the state's not willing to pay that to keep them incarcerated, then they're not dangerous enough to take a gun away from them, period incarcerate them or let them have a gun your choice but if if we're going to say that you know people anyone who is carrying a gun is a dangerous person then why aren't police officers dangerous people police officers every single the police officer who pulled that guy over carried a gun why isn't he being villainized because he had a gun there's there's this this 
false dichotomy that there are good guys with guns and bad guys with guns and the police are always a good guy with guns and the person without a license is obviously a bad guy with a gun because he was breaking the law. Well, no, I'm sorry. There are some laws that are unjust. There are some laws that are unfair. There are some laws that are just absolutely ludicrous and infringe on our rights. I mean, think about it. Slavery was legal. It was perfectly legal. Everything Hitler did was legal. Everything Pol Pot did was legal. Murdering six million Jews was legal. That doesn't make it right. And fundamental rights, things that are rights, flow from something beyond just the power of the government. It flows from our, our inherent nature as being a human being. And my right to defend myself and my right to carry a firearm flows from my nature as a human being. There are we have so many laws on the books that are meant to regulate our conduct and it's always done under the premise of safety. Well, we're going to make you more safe by taxing you, by fining you, by imprisoning you to do what we want. And it's not about safety. It's about coercing behavior. If it was about safety, you would only punish somebody when something happened. And that's the other side of this, too. OK, everyone comes out and say, well, you know. Our police, our police, we need to back our police and support our police. I do support my police. You know how I support my police? By not needing them. That's the best support I can ever give a police officer. I don't need them. I really don't. I have never needed a cop in my life. And I probably never will. There may be an exemption when, when if, if I had a heart attack or if I had a stroke, then Having a first responder would be nice, but I don't need a cop for that. I don't need someone who is trained in, in, you know, how to arrest people. I need someone who's trained in how to help people. Look at our police cars. Okay. This, this is fundamental. Our police cars are, are dark colors with the light bars hidden. The most menacing looking vehicles on the road tend to be police cars. You can spot them coming because they're all black or they're all white with black outline and they hide their light bars and they have the, the police writing in, in silver on the side. So it's hard to see. And they sit there in the, the, the U bends of the freeway system with their lights off and running radar. Now let's take a shift and look at a police car in Paris. It's got black and white checkers down the side of it and with police written like 18 inch high letters and the light bar way up on top and a siren that's unmistakable in order to show that it's police because we want you to know that those are the police. We're not really too concerned about trying to hide who we are or trying to be able to sneak up on you. We don't need to. We're here to help you. Completely different mentality. It is a completely different mentality. And I am okay with a police officer who's out to help. I'm not okay with a police officer who's out there to punish criminals. Because when, when our code sections, and I know this better than anybody, okay? I mean, I've been a prosecutor. I've been a defense attorney. I've done, been on every side of this that there can be. When our code section, if you cannot recite the entire penal code... As an average person, it's too long and there's no way that you can abide by it. Think about that. If you cannot recite the entire penal code, it's too long and there's no way you can abide by it. You will be breaking the law sometime simply because you don't know what, what's going on. When it's, when we have laws 
that are contingent on other people breaking the law. It's perfectly legal for you to do X until somebody around you breaks the law and then you become a criminal by virtue of what was legal behavior except for their because of their criminal behavior. We have laws, not not as many, but we have laws where something can be legal right now but can become illegal tomorrow without an act of the legislature and then become legal again the day after. How on earth and can that be considered fair or just or anything? It can't. These are got shoes. Now, um, like I said, everyone's pouring out, oh, we need to support our police, we need to support our police, and my position is I support the police by not needing them. But let's think about this in, in another context, okay? Do police prevent crime? If I am in a dark alley all by myself and somebody comes up to rob me, can you guarantee that a police will come and stop the crime from happening? No. If the police don't come and stop the crime, can I sue them because they failed in their duty to protect me? No. Can't do anything because it's not their job. So who prevents crime? If the police do not prevent crime and find me a police who say says, I, I, I will accept financial liability that I will prevent crime in my area, my beat, my whatever. Never will happen. It will never happen as long as you and I live. We could we could put a million bucks up on that one as a reward because it ain't going to happen any more than Harry Houdini is going to come back from the dead and tell us about the afterlife. It just ain't going to happen, folks. I can guarantee it. <clears throat> so if the police don't prevent crime, if that's not their job, then what does actually prevent crime? As a former prosecutor, as a criminal defense attorney, as someone who has been on the front lines of this battle since he was 19 years old, the first case that I worked on in trying to uphold the law as an attorney, I was 19 years old working under the supervision of a licensed attorney. Okay, So I've been doing this forever. What makes that break? Who is able to actually prevent crime? We're at a commercial break, folks. We'll be right back. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. So at the end of the last segment, I was, doing, I was saying, please don't prevent crime. They don't. They, they do not prevent crime. They can't be there. They don't accept financial responsibility. They are not subject to suit for failure to prevent crime. Crime happens, and police clean up afterwards. That's all they do. They watch a crime happen, and then they punish you for it. But they didn't stop you. And so here's, here's the, the, the big question. Who does prevent crime? Honest, law-abiding citizens who carry firearms and accept personal responsibility. We prevent crime. And the police should be thanking us every single day they get in their squad cars that we exist. Because if it wasn't for the citizenry, if it wasn't for the people who are out there every day preventing crime, their jobs would be impossible. So the next time you see a police officer, wait for them to walk up and thank you for everything that you do. You might not want to hold your breath on that one. But it's true. 
When I carry a gun, I protect my family. I prevent crime. If someone tries to hurt my kids, I'm there to prevent it. They aren't going to get away with it. It's not going to happen. They're not going to be victims up on the wall of the Cobb County District Attorney's Office that are never forgotten because they will go on to live wonderful, happy lives, become meaningful members of society, and hopefully change the world one day. Because if you think that you're here for anything less than changing the world, then you're deluding yourself. Why else would God have put you on this earth? Every one of us carries that that potential inside of them. Most of us won't live up to it, but each one of us was designed, purpose-built, and made to change this world fundamentally. And it's time that we started living up to these promises that we hold inside of us. It's time that we, as individuals, start to see ourselves as being more than just hollow shells, more than just day-to-day grind, more than just doing laundry or washing dishes or going to our jobs or sitting in traffic. We are more than all of these things. We are meant to be wondrous. We are meant to be involved and to change the fundamental nature of our society. And it's time that we accept that responsibility and do it. The rioters, maybe their methods are not the best. I'll give you that. Maybe this isn't the way that things should be done. But my goodness, at least they're trying. At least they have gotten up off their couches and went to do something. I wish we all would get up and go do something. It's time. It's past time. This is just disgusting that we sit here and watch our reality TV and are placated by the opiate of society and never get motivated, never get the enough, enough courage to out, go out there and change the way that things are done, to stand up against injustice, to stand up against wrong, to stand up against all of the, the hate and anger and animosity that our own government has towards us. It's time to do something. It's time to get involved. It's time to hold people accountable. It's time to to shift the fundamental nature of what society is. And you know, I, I reach out every week and try. I've I've tried to do it from the top down. I've, I've run for office. I've tried to do it sideways through media. That's what this is all about. I'm going to take a new tactic. I'm going to work on educating. And try to educate another generation in such a way that maybe they're willing to rise up and to make the changes that are necessary where they see what is, is required, that power is not the, the, the end, but power is a means to an end of freeing people's minds and giving them greater opportunity. I'm hoping that there is a way to, to, to derail this runaway train that's heading straight towards a cliff. We are getting so close, folks. We are getting so close to the tipping point where massive numbers of people are going to rise up and say the government no longer represents us and the government in a strive and, and, and in a power grab tries to stay in power and represses the citizenry and, and it will, if we go down that road, it will be dark and it will be nasty and it will end up like the French Revolution with a Napoleon running the country with a new empire with with people being crushed left right and center and bloody purges i mean this this is human history repeating we've seen it we saw it in the russian revolution you know the the czar had lost the 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 love of his people and was overthrown by the bolsheviks who promised prosperity through communism which led to stalin and the great purges and 30 million russians disappearing into the gulag archipelago i mean this is 
this is repeated over and over and over in human history. And I am afraid. I am afraid that this is the, the future history of our country. If we don't do something to make this government accountable, to make it understand that people need to be free, that they don't need to be used. And when you use people, it causes this sort of thing. And it is inevitable. I think it is inevitable when you use your citizens that revolution comes and after revolution, a dictator. And this is a country that is too rich and too powerful to afford a dictator. I don't want to see a Napoleon. I don't want to see a Stalin. I don't want to see a Caesar in control of our nuclear arsenal. We need to get back to a more populist viewpoint. I think Trump does a good job at the populism. He says, look, hey, you want this? You can have this. Sounds good to me. Whatever you want sounds good to me. I think that that's kind of Trump. I think that he may be at least a, a, a slowing down mechanism on, on the, the way to the cliff. I think that Hillary will exacerbate it, that she'll use the, the racial politics to exacerbate the, the underlying animosity in an attempt to control her power base, but that in turn will derail not only herself, but everybody else. So folks, how do you get involved? Well, one of the best ways to get involved is to become a member of georgiacarry.org. If you go to www.georigacarry.org, you can click on the top left-hand corner, join now for $20 a year, $500 for a lifetime. You can become a member. You'll get a whole bunch of legislative updates. You'll know what bills are being passed in our legislature. You'll know what's Committee hearings need your attendance, which legislators need a phone call or an email when the governor needs a good kick in the rear end to get him moving because he just doesn't seem to be responding anymore than President Obama does to the will of our people. So these are all important things. The only way you're going to know what's happening in the in the gun industry here in Georgia with the bills that are being passed and the direction the legislature is taking is if you're a member of georgiacarry.org. You'll get the emails. You'll know where to go. You're never going to get shook down for money. Georgiacarry.org doesn't need your money. What we need is your help. We need your commitment. That $20 is a symbol of your commitment to the organization that you're going to make these phone calls, send these emails, show up for these committee hearings, and help to make a difference. So that is how you become a member. Now, let's say that you don't want to, to go online and, and do put your credit card information in. That's fine. There are a lot of other ways you can become a member. Every week, georgiacarry.org is somewhere with a team of volunteers having, vo- um, I was going to say voter registration, but membership drives. You can go to a local gun show. Just about every gun show has a table from georgiacarry.org. You can go to the annual convention, which has come and gone for this year but it's going to next year we'll have another convention great place to sign up and meet people there are local chapter meetings where you can sign up and become a member and these local chapter meetings are usually held at restaurants or sometimes shooting ranges in the local area it's a good chance for you to hear a speaker on a, on a particular topic to get to know the people around you who are also interested in firearms and firearm safety and legislation and, and to have just a good time of fellowship and camaraderie also georgiacarry.org goes to just about every festival under the sun they go to the big shanty festival they go to the the gay pride festival here in atlanta they go to every festival that they can find because no matter what your race religion sexual orientation or any other characteristic you may have or espouse you can be a member of the gun culture and to take personal responsibility for your your safety the safety of those around you reject the idea that you are dependent on the government for your your very life and reject the idea that the police are going to mourn you when you are killed and instead 
prevent that crime from happening. And these, these are the, the tenets that will make us who we are. So take some time. Go become a member of GeorgiaCarry.org and look around this weekend. Find a way to get involved. If not politically, then culturally. If not culturally, then and educationally. Find someone to talk to and, and to think about your ideas. Get into a debate with somebody. Have fun with it. Don't get down and out and angry, but, but take some time to debate somebody else and to purify your thoughts. Let the free marketplace of ideas come into play and, and make you a more well-rounded, better person. That will help you in your day-to-day life. It'll help you cultivate your decisions. It'll help you make clarify your thoughts in ways that will will improve you as a human being. Go to a range. Go to a, go to a, a, a shooting gallery. Get out. Take your kids. Take your wife. Take your girlfriend. Take your boyfriends. Just get out there and and enjoy. This is a beautiful weekend. We're in, in late September, and I really should be back in school. But you know what? It's a fun time to be out and about and doing things. It's, it's almost summer, right? <laughs> we're, we're getting down into the 80s for highs. It feels like summer instead of feeling like someplace else. It, it's a glorious time to be out there and enjoying ourselves. And I hope that you take the time this weekend to do something profitable for your mind and for your body to get out there enjoy your family enjoy the weekend we will be back next week with another exciting topic i have no idea what i'm talking about next week so tune in to find out but i'll be here same bat time same bat channel this has been georgiacarry.org radio with doug and jesse king georgiacarry.org is georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8 on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town.